On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from Dr. Hal Paz as we discuss a CEO's vision of pharmacy leadership success. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by The Ohio State University Lashley Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and The Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. Dr. Harold L. Paz is the first to serve in the position of Executive Vice President and Chancellor for Health Affairs at The Ohio State University and Chief Executive Officer of The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. At Ohio State, Dr. Paz leads all seven health science colleges and serves as CEO of the $4 billion Wexner Medical Center Enterprise, which constitutes seven hospitals, a nationally ranked college of medicine, more than 20 research institutes, multiple ambulatory sites, an accountable care organization, and a health plan. Before joining Ohio State in June 2019, Dr. Paz was the Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer at Aetna, where he led clinical strategy and policy at the intersection of all of Aetna's domestic and global businesses. Prior to joining Aetna in 2014, Dr. Paz served as President and CEO of the Penn State Hershey Health System, Senior Vice President for Health Affairs at the Pennsylvania State University, and Dean of its College of Medicine for a total of eight years. Before his appointment at Penn State, Hal spent 11 years as Dean of the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and CEO of Robert Wood Johnson University Medical Group. Dr. Paz has served on a number of corporate and scientific boards in the healthcare and biotechnology field. He has authored more than 100 publications, including peer-reviewed articles, chapters, commentaries, and abstracts, and he is the recipient of numerous awards and an honorary degree. Welcome everyone, and we are here today with Dr. Hal Paz, and I'm so excited to talk to Hal about his views on uh, healthcare, on pharmacy, and on the role that pharmacy leaders have in the future. Hal, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Bob. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Thank you, and you know, you've, you've got lots of experience. You know, obviously our alumni are very anxious to to hear your thoughts about healthcare and, and you know, obviously pharmacy's view and pharmacy's approach to healthcare, but how have you seen healthcare change uh, since you started your practice and training? Well, you know, it's, it, it, the change has been incredible. And as I think back, I'll, I'll go back even earlier than that. When I was a kid growing up in, in New York City, I remember that uh, our, our healthcare was provided by a GP, as we called them, um, and uh, he operated out of uh, a small office with uh, 
with a nurse and um, he used to literally come to our house with a black bag um, and my mother would pay him in cash. Uh, and uh, you would go to a local pharmacy, which was just that, a pharmacy where you would pick up your meds. Um, and sometimes if, uh, because someone was sick or whatever, the pharmacist at the end of the day would uh, bring the medication over to your house in a bag or would have someone run it over during the day. And you knew your GP well, and you knew your, your local pharmacist well. And, uh, you know, you wound up in a hospital only if you were really, really, really sick. And that's what it was like. Um, and, um, you know, um, I, I, when I went to medical school, I, I went to the University of Rochester uh, School of Medicine. And um, the, the founder of that school um, uh, was uh, originally came from Johns Hopkins and and um, Nobel Prize laureate uh, who, um, you know, was at Hopkins during its its era of uh, the Flexner report and and uh, when um, it was a pivotal time in in medicine and in academic medicine in particular, because Abraham Flexner, who had been hired by um, um, the Rockefeller Foundation, and it was before it was called the foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, to look at medical education at the time. And, you know, he uh, identified many of the schools in the U.S. There were over 200 of them at the time, really did not have a scientific basis of medical education. A few did. Um, he identified Johns Hopkins as a place that, you know, had that, um, it, it was actually the German model of medical education, which was all research and scientific based. And he came up with this notion of a hospital and a medical school side by side. And um, there were a few places in the country that had that model in place. By the way, one of them um, uh, from the um, mid 1800s was right here in Columbus, the Starling Medical College right next. Oh, wow. Right here on our campus. Uh, so Ohio State, um, it, it's, um, its foundation is, is firmly uh, footed in that notion of a medical college or a medical school attached to a hospital. It was right here on our campus. But there were very few examples of that. Uh, Flexner selected, selected Hopkins as this model uh, for a host of different reasons. And, and that became the standard for a century, literally. Uh, to the present day, and you know, um, many of the top places in the country, um, you know, have have come from there and continue down that path, and that's the typical model that we've had for a long time, um, and um, and and we've seen that grow um, and develop, um, but now with all the changes in healthcare delivery, it's it's no longer about uh, just a hospital and a medical school side by side. It's about an integrated health platform, which I'll get into in a minute, which is inpatient, outpatient. And it's no longer just about a, a school or a college of medicine. It's about interprofessional education that includes pharmacy, for example, among other things, <clears throat> nursing, public health, and the list goes on. So, you know, we're we're in a whole different age as a model. And as I think about my education and, you know, deeply rooted in that tradition um, that, um, that emanated from Hopkins at the University of Rochester and, um, and the founding dean, Dean Whipple, who, who, came, who came from there, 
continued that on. When I graduated medical school, roughly about 85%, if not more, physicians went into private practice. And what we've seen evolve over the past number of decades since I graduated medical school is now it's the inverse. Over about 85% or more physicians are employed. Only a small percentage are in the kind of practice that I mentioned before that I had as a kid growing up. So we've shifted and we've pivoted from this model of very individualized and, and personalized care to these large integrated systems. And, and the irony for me of, of this is, is that I think in many ways, because of technology, because of scale, if we do it right, we have an opportunity to get back to where we were, um, yeah. a back to the future model, that we have this opportunity to create personalized health for individuals uh, and to do it on scale by using data and analytics to identify the immediate needs of patients by using an array of different solutions, including digital and telehealth, mm -hmm. and by aligning resources uh, uh, across geographic regions so that we can have a direct impact in local communities on patients, no matter what their needs are. I think we truly have a chance to offer something very different than what many have experienced uh, over the past several decades, which for some has been, as you know, very challenging. Yes, and to exactly. allow our workforce to feel um, like they have an opportunity to do what they were trained to do with a lot, without a lot of the bureaucratic overlay and challenges that frustrates many and contributes to the kind of burnout we're seeing across right. the nation. So it's, huge opportunities. Oh, it's really a, a interesting to hear you say that. Uh, no, honestly, uh, I think it's amazing the way you describe that because a pharmacy uh, has sort of changed in the same manner. Uh, again, when we first uh, started as a profession and much of our uh, beginnings as well came from the Flexner report in terms of, you know, how sort of medical education works. And um, we, um, <clears throat> we have evolved from the corner drugstore to the large integrated health system using technology, uh, you know, all of those things that, that you've talked about. So it's kind of amazing how sort of we've grown as well. And so from your perspective, how do you see pharmacy continuing to grow? Do you see technology playing a larger role in what we do to kind of make medication delivery and information more personalized? Yeah, I think that um, there are just huge opportunities. First, it starts with interprofessional teams. So it's, it's about rather than having education in silos and care delivery in silos, how do we integrate? How do we continue in, you know, um, Earlier in my career, I was a medical ICU director, and, and this would have been in the 1980s, um, in the 1990s. We recognized that to have an effective critical care team rounding in the ICU, the pharmacist had to be with us as part of that team making rounds. Because in those days, that's where, well, first of all, we had the sickest of the sick patients in the ICU. We were constantly uh, prescribing drugs, infusion that, um, you know, would change, that would have to be titrated, and um, where there were the, the, the potential for interactions and, and, and all kinds of issues. So 
to have a pharmacist as part of that team was incredibly important for our success to achieve the positive outcome in the ICU. Well, that was kind of isolated in many ways to the ICU setting and then over time to more of a hospital setting. But I would say to do this really well, it should, it should occur across the entire landscape of care delivery. We have ambulatory care sites in many locations here in central Ohio. We're building four huge ambulatory care facilities in New Albany, Dublin, and on West Campus. Um, great opportunities to continue to do that, to make sure that we're optimizing uh, the use of, of, of pharmaceuticals, that um, we're choosing the right drug for the right indication, the right dose, we're, uh, we're clear on potential interactions, and, and being very thoughtful about, about how to effectively use these vitally important interventions to achieve better outcome for our patients. Physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants can't do that alone anymore. It's too complex. And the issues are, are uh, very significant in terms of appropriate use, in terms of looking for uh, the best possible agent based on, on price and impact and outcome. Um, so I think that you know um, this is really going to be incredibly important in the future not to mention all the dramatic changes we're seeing in the area of specialty drugs. Oh, absolutely. Right? So everything from infusions to the use of novel agents, like we are talking about today with COVID, you know, the use of monoclonals, for example, and things that were not as common except in certain specialty areas like oncology or rheumatology uh, or pulmonary medicine, my field, you know, uh, we're, this is just more and more commonplace now. So the expertise is incredibly important. And then last but not least, having a secure and safe supply chain from end to end, making sure that, um, you know, when, when a, a drug arrives, that it's being handled appropriately, packaged appropriately, distributed appropriately, because we understand that if that doesn't happen, it presents enormous challenges. So you are you are saying things that are music to every listener's ear on this uh, podcast, Al. Uh, first, I you know I can't uh, thank you enough for that insight because um, to all the folks on this podcast listening to this podcast, what what Hal is talking about is being strategic as a pharmacy leader to understand uh, where we fit in as pharmacy leaders, and I think you've described pretty well that. You know, we fit into interprofessional education, we fit into the teams, we fit into a business model of specialty pharmacy, a business model of revenue enhancement within our organizations. And then, you know, obviously, finally, a business model and a strategy around supply chain integrity. And these are our fundamental tenets of, of leadership and fundamental tenets of, of what we do. And, and it's really nice to hear that. Uh, from your perspective as a leader of a large uh, integrated health system, that you see value in that. And, and I, I truly appreciate that. I know that most uh, CEOs um, value the pharmacy department and, uh, you know, what they do. And, you know, hopefully we'll continue with our, you know, leadership skills and our training to really train leaders for the future uh, as well. So you're really uh, talking about some things that really resonate really highly with our alumni. If you could uh, describe uh, for me how what your 
vision of what a successful pharmacy leader is, what would that be? What, what would you like to see in a pharmacy? So, you know, um, first and foremost, someone that, that is well grounded in, in their profession and work as a leader, understanding where the opportunities are for optimizing care delivery, working collaboratively with other leaders across the institution and having a, a very deep uh, and granular understanding of their own operations to make sure that it aligns with the rest of the organization. And to do that, they, they need to be visible. They need to be bi-directional and communicating with, with their workforce and their team. They need to have a deep uh, understanding of the data uh, and able to look at the data, see where there are gaps, and then identify an opportunity. And at the end of the day, it always comes back to three things that I believe every leader has to focus on. Being strategic, mm -hmm. um, identifying, uh, recruiting, and retaining and developing their team and their workforce, because we're only as good as the people that make up our organizations. Mm -hmm. And three, going out and supporting the resource needs, be it facilities, bricks and mortar, technology and equipment, or funding to do the work. And if you give the people the, the resources they need, state-of-the-art facilities and funding to achieve the strategic vision, then you have an outstanding culture and organization. And that's what it's about at the end of the day. Well, thank you so much for that. And uh, again, we have a lot of trainees listening to this podcast as well. And uh, to our residents, please uh, hear what Dr. Paz is saying. Uh, what, what he's saying is that for you to be a prepared leader, you need to be visible. You need to be able to communicate throughout your organization. You need to understand where your department fits. You need to be strategic in a way where your plan fits and aligns with the plans of the organization. And, uh, you know, again, that's, that, that's sort of basic pharmacy leadership 101 that we try to teach through the Ohio State program. Uh, we've been pretty successful at it. And hopefully, you know, as we continue to lead, uh, our departments will continue to grow uh, with the health systems as well. From, from your perspective, uh, do, you, do you see any major challenges in 2021 and moving forward? Uh, in not only in healthcare, you know, obviously within pharmacy or with any other part of healthcare, do you see challenges that we really need to keep on our radar screen? Well, uh, I would say, Bob, that there's the short term and then there's the long term. The short term, COVID, you know, and it'll yes. continue COVID. Um, and uh, but let me just say, since I suspect uh, individuals will, will be listening to this in the coming weeks. Um, my expectation is, is that we will get to the other side of this, uh, sometime in 2021. Um, you know, I, I think that now with, um, the introduction of monoclonals as a treatment with the, uh, um, with the early success that was reported in the media, uh, with regard to vaccines and the potential for emergency use authorization distribution of both monoclonal treatments and vaccines in the coming weeks, um, that we will get to the other side of this pandemic. Um, I, you know, I hate, to I hate to throw out a date, but I'm optimistic that, you know, after the first of 
the year and the first quarter, second quarter time frame, we're going to start to see significant progress. Yes. Substantial and very, and very uh, significant progress. Now, does that mean that we, we can all stop wearing masks, um, you know, on April 1? I don't think so. I'd be thrilled and delighted if that were the case. I think we're going to be wearing masks for the better part of 21. Yes, I would agree. But we're going to have this thing under control and we're going to have a light at the end of the tunnel. That's my hope based on what I'm understanding today. In the meantime, we know one thing for sure, if we all wear a mask and we just did some data analysis uh, with, uh, with an organization in Washington State, even 95% compliance by Ohioans would save over 2,000 lives in the coming months. Oh my gosh. Right? I mean, that's incredible. That is incredible. Something as simple as getting people to wear a mask. That is really incredible. So, so that's the immediate. It, it also underscores some of the long-term issues. So what are the long-term issues? Um, more and more, and this is why, why I just was so excited about coming to Ohio State, this opportunity to take uh, our, our health system, our seven hospitals, our clinics, and turn this into a health platform, a health platform that is a combination of seven hospital facilities. We have the third largest cancer hospital in the nation here at Ohio State. Yes. And um, over 1,200 hospital beds. And, and then all the ambulatory care sites we currently have and all the additional sites we're building in, in New Albany and Dublin and West Campus. And take all that brick and mortar and then integrate that with, with digital and virtual solutions mm-hmm. to better get into individuals' homes to address their own personal health issues, to create personalized health by looking not just through the lens of genetics and healthcare, which together attribute to maybe 30% of health outcomes, but to look at the other 70% of the equation, which are social, behavioral, and environmental determinants of health. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Social determinants of health, uh, poverty, food insecurity, lack of transportation, poor housing conditions, transportation, all these issues, even structural racism are all incredibly important social determinants of health. Behavioral determinants of health, addiction to alcohol, to opioids, to tobacco. Um, Don't forget, Still today, 500,000 Americans will die a smoking-related death in this country. That is amazing. Every year. Every year. Um, diet, exercise, obesity. These are things that we, we have to be able to address um, in our communities. If you go just here in Columbus, if you go to Bexley, wonderful community, wealthy, disproportionately white, and go a mile up the road to the Near East Side, generally poor, financially insecure, and disproportionately black, the difference in life expectancy is 18.3 years, one mile apart. Oh my goodness. They're both about the same distance from healthcare resources. As a matter of fact, on the Near East Side, we have Ohio Health 
Ohio State East. Yeah, East Hospital, right? Right. Wow, that, that's amazing. So, so much of of that matters. How do we? And again, this is relevant to what the work we're doing in pharmacy. How do we go in those local communities? How do we make sure that we're addressing these needs? There was a, a study done that looked at patients with diabetes, patients who have chronic illness who have diabetes. And they looked at adherence to medication. Mm-hmm. Within three months of receiving a prescription, 50% of patients were no longer adherent to their meds. Oh my goodness. They go back to the physician's office. Physician doesn't know that the patient is or is or is not taking their meds. How would they know? Correct. And you know, the patient is too embarrassed to say, I couldn't afford the copay. I didn't have a car to get to the pharmacy to pick it up. I can't arrange for someone to come here and drop it off. Right. Or I am I did take it for a while, but it caused side effects. Right. And I stopped taking it. So what does the what does the physician do? They don't know this is going on. They increase the dose. Absolutely. Yeah. They switch to another brand that all of a sudden is much, much more expensive. Absolutely. And then they expect the outcome to change, and it doesn't. So imagine if instead of that model, the model is we can go into the home of that a nurse or a social worker or a healthcare worker goes into the home of that patient and opens the medicine cabinet and says, Mrs. Jones or Mr. Smith, there are five bottles of this medication sitting on your shelf unopened. Yes, what's it all doing there? What can we do to help you take this? Or they open the food pantry and they say, Mr. Mr. Jones, you know, you're diabetic and your your shelves are filled with 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 chips and and with processed food. Yeah. And and you know, what can we do to get you onto a healthy diet? Can we get a nutritionist into your home, either virtually or, or, or physically in your home, to help work through these? The impact we would have on the health and well-being of those individuals is substantial. And it takes me all the way back to when I was a kid growing up in New York, and that GP arrives at our door with a black bag, or the pharmacist comes over with, with the bag of medicine. What could we do? to recreate that for everybody on scale, but now using technology to bring us to that opportunity to create personalized health for all of our patients. A fabulous, a fabulous point. And, you know, I, I, I do recall uh, our family doctor, my, my mother would give him cash and he would put the cash in a box. Mm-hmm. And he would take that box over into his office, which was filled with papers and stacked up with one of those old desks. And uh, his name was Dr. McAvoy, and he was a wonderful man. Took care of us, took care of me until I was 18 years old and went to college. And uh, what you say is so important in that the opportunities we have as an interdisciplinary team are far greater. If we can use technology, if we can get connected to patients, but even if we can go and see our patients, and like you said, go look at the medicine cabinet, see See how many prescriptions there are in there. Look, looking for opioids, for goodness sake, right? I mean, Absolutely. you know, it's the, those those kinds of things. And I think, you know, what you what I really appreciate is that you've set a path. I think for pharmacy leaders to to really take an accountability and responsibility for uh, sort of the the health platform and making sure that pharmacy's role within each aspect of that health platform is fully optimized. And 
I think that's a leadership challenge for us. And I know as a CEO, that's what you expect from people that work here. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I, you know, obviously what you say is rings so true with our, you know, with our folks on this podcast. Um, so you, you're, you're a really busy person and, uh, I'm sure obviously you're a, also very fit because I've seen you, you're fit and trim and you exercise a lot, just like me. And, uh, but what else do you do in your spare time? What are you reading or what are you seeing that's really inspiring you these days? Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I have to say full disclosure though. Um, I haven't been to a gym in I think nine months now. It's hard. Yes. Which I really miss. I've tried to retrofit some things at home, um, did break down and, and I did buy a Peloton bike, oh, that's uh, good. which is helping and still getting outside as much as I can to, to run or take at least take long walks. I can't run yes. every day. That's for sure. Um, but uh, trying to do that, it's it's challenging, but we all have to continue to get physical exercise. It is so important. Yes. Yeah. So books. So, you know, I've, I've read. Uh, several really interesting books lately. I try to read every every evening. Um, I just finished yesterday The Great Influenza, uh, which is about the Spanish flu pandemic. Really interesting book. Um, it was written about, uh, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, uh, long before this. Yes, um, yes. It's very interesting to read about that. The, the parallels are just incredible. Astonishing. The whole mask parallel is astonishing, isn't it? Yeah, it is unbelievable. But it was interesting to read how how when things were handled well and when they were handled poorly. Absolutely. So I, I would recommend that um, for a really interesting read. I, just before that, I finished a book called The Splendid and the Vile. Um, and it's a book about Winston Churchill, his leadership during the bombing of London uh, by the Nazis in, in the Second World War and how he led um, uh, how he led Britain during its darkest days. Um, and, um, uh, it's, it's a really inspiring book and very instructional for anyone in any kind of a leadership role, particularly right now. And remember that line, it is darkest before the dawn. Um, yeah. as we're going into Thanksgiving and what will be without a doubt, this, this surge, this new surge in the pandemic, yes. it is important to remember that it does it is darkest before the dawn but we are looking forward to the that dawn coming um after the first of the year and then uh, the third book i'll recommend um is a really it's a lovely book has nothing to do with current events at all but it's called a gentleman in moscow and it's hmm. just an exceptionally um well-written book it's a novel um, and, um, it will, you know, it's a, it's a lovely distraction from everything going on nowadays. And I, I recommend that. Well, those are great suggestions. And I, I have really enjoyed talking to you. And I, I know for a fact that our alumni will, uh, take your, uh, suggestions, your advice and your sage advice and, and really use it to help optimize uh, pharmacy within health systems. I, I can't thank you enough for taking your time. And have a great day. And thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for the opportunity, Bob. Be well. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.